We are going to walk through just two verses today. It's actually kind of the second half of the sermon Joe preached two weeks ago, and, and don't worry if you didn't hear that, it'll be all right. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If, if you are kind of new with us um, over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy. That's kind of our norm. Uh, last week was a little bit exciting. I hope you all enjoyed that, a little different change hearing from our kiddos in Vacation Bible School. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just verses 16 and 17. It's the close of that chapter. Um, some very important core scriptures that we just wanted to isolate just these two so we had a little bit of time to really focus in and uh, let these sink into our hearts this morning. Um, as we were going through vacation Bible school a week and a half ago or two weeks ago now, um, it's crazy. So if, you, if you've never done vacation Bible school, it, it's just wild. I don't know any other way to describe it than wild. Amazing, wonderful. God does so much in our kids. My kids are still singing the song, still quoting the verse. I mean, it's worth it. It's worth the crazy, but it's crazy. And I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, um, I was actually sitting at the kids' check-in desk over there by the fish tank, working on the sermon for the coming Sunday. I didn't want to leave just in case something happened. I figured I'd just be walking back and forth if I tried that one. And uh, one of our ladies who was serving came up and just asked me how I was doing. And um, it's just like one of those light bulbs popped on. And I said, I'm doing all right. It's been a little crazy. But something clicked about how I was doing, and I was kind of probably feeling a little sorry for myself, or at least thinking, you know, this is, this is something unusual or unique. But that morning, I had uh, popped on Facebook before I'd come up here, before I'd left, and saw my friend Aaron. And um, some of y'all have got to meet Aaron and Joanna Choate. Uh, we, we actually support them as a church they're missionaries in the Solomon Islands, um, for, uh, appropriately enough, with the week. Um, they live in Guadalcanal. Uh, it's now called Hanaira. That's where they live. That's, that's home to them, but that's one of their two homes. Their other home is on a little island called Luvacal. And um, it's two godly saints. He was, he was a concert cellist. Um, she, he was worked in the Little Rock Orchestra. He was first chair cellist. So I'll tell you, I mean, he's, he's got some solid chops, solid education. He came down to Texas. That's how I met him to go to school for another three years, get a second master's degree, and then moved his family, his four kiddos, out into the middle of nowhere. So their main home where they live on Luvacal does not have running water, does not have electricity. They've got a solar panel that powers a radio, and their laptops, and one of the little, like, college dorm fridges, all right? So, so for college students, picture what you've been living off of for the last four years for a family of six. Um, and they live this way and have lived this way um, for about 10 years. And they've just went back um, after a time getting two of their kiddos settled. And that day, he posted, didn't make the boat again. And this picture of him and it's not that he didn't catch the boat. It's that the boat didn't leave. This boat, which none of us would get on, just straight up, all right? We're not getting on the ocean, all right? I wouldn't get on that boat on a lake. And uh, rusty, I mean, this, this thing was, you know. And he's sitting in the back, kind of under like a little tent made out of a tarp 
with a big hat on and his laptop computer translating the scriptures into Luvacal. Waiting on this boat as he had been for a week and a half at that point. He finally made it. Um, Because the seas weren't right or the boat engine wouldn't start. I mean, it's just like scary. Because he's going to go check on their house and make sure it's ready for the family to move out there. He's going to clean up, you know, drive the rats out. I'm not kidding about that one. Um, They have dedicated their lives to going where most of us, I mean, it's a tropical paradise if you go visit for like a week. It's not if you live there. And that's their life. That's his life. He has one job, one task. You know, my task list, I've got all these different things. He has one task for his career. Bible in Luvacol. That's it. And they give up. They, they are literally halfway around the world from their two kids in college right now. I can't fathom that. But it was a good check to my own heart. It's really easy for us to pick up. I mean, we've got pretty versions of the Bible. I've, I've loved reading because it's big font. I'm getting old. Um, lots of place for my notes. But we sit there and, and, and we just take this for granted. And the Scripture says about itself so much. And this passage that we're about to read today, that we're about to study today, it's, it's almost the core. Like, this is where we start when we want to know, what does the Scripture say about the Scripture? So, so let me kind of make almost a preface to this. If you're not a believer, we're glad you're here today. We're so grateful that you're coming to see and, and find out what this is about Jesus and Christ. Scripture is huge to us. Let me just say it like there. Let's start there. But today's not going to be an argument to say, here's why you can trust the Scripture with archaeology or with uh, looking through things and, and comparing the Scriptures to itself and the, the flow that goes all the way through and the consistency, the lack of things going against each other despite the fact that it was written over 4,000 years. That's not going to be this sermon. That's important. There's a book back there on the table I would encourage you to take. Um, it's called Taking God at His Word. Uh, it's by Kevin DeYoung. Phenomenal. We can get some more references to you. There's one called What is the Bible? Uh, there's another one called Can You Trust the Bible? would love to set you up with those. But today's sermon is going to be What Does the Bible Say About Itself? What? What is this thing? I mean, we read from the Bible all the time. We preach from the Bible. We've read God's Word. We've sung songs based on the Bible. What is it? And this scripture today says that. So, again, if you haven't yet, grab a Bible, open it to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to read just verses 16 and 17. I'd love for you to follow along. You can grab one of those black Bibles if you don't have one. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Read this with me. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm just going to read it again. It's so short. I want us to kind of start letting that soak a little bit. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you want to follow along in your handout there, we're going to kind of explore two big pictures, and and you'll see there's a lot of lines There's a lot of words in this text that we're going to kind of focus on, and uh, I thought I'd kind of outline it that way we can hopefully track better since there's a lot of little words I don't want to, uh, I hope to not be confusing. I'll put it like that way. I'm not going to make any promises because while Joe and all this other crew and Chad, they were on the beach with the teenagers, I was at home while my wife was on the beach with the teenagers with two kiddos prepping a sermon. And prepping a sermon is a challenging work. Prepping a sermon with two kiddos swimming while you're on the pool that's, that's something different. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it was, it was unique. I will say that one. So the first thing we want to do, the two big points are Scripture is inspired and Scripture is profitable. You'll see those taken right out of that text. But the first one, first main point, number one, is Scripture is inspired. And we're going to just focus in on that very first little point, part of verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations actually translate all Scripture is inspired by God. This one is a little more literal to the Greek, and we'll, we'll pull that out here in just a minute. But I, I want to break it down even more. Two pieces to that. One, what is Scripture? And two, what is inspired? All right? Very simple. We're, we're going to go really concrete today, all right? What is Scripture? So your second, your first subpoint there, subpoint number one, is the meaning of of scripture. Your second one, again, real creative, the meaning of inspiration. So under scripture, we're going to pull a few things out here. The meaning of scripture. That word there uh, in verse 16, it, it means writing. That's the most literal translation for it. I, this could be used of something besides the Bible, but the New Testament authors kind of grab that word and, and make it something special for us to mean the Scriptures. And so, quick definition, and then I'm going to develop this, all right? Quick definition is the 66 books of the Old and New Testament that we have translated into English, but it's also translated, again, into all other languages uh, that you can imagine. And there's still about 700 languages we have to go, aka people like Aaron, who are out there working right now. So the Scripture is what you know as the Bible. That's what this is talking about. So let me back up. That's the definition. Now kind of let me argue from that definition here a little bit. We're going to go a couple different places. The Scripture um, that uh, Hannah read just a few moments ago, that's Peter, a different author, and he's using that same exact word, the Scriptures. So Peter and Paul had this idea. There's something there that the people they were writing to knew what it was. And at that point, it was what we would call the Old Testament. The, the law, the writings, the prophets, that's how the Jewish people talked about it. But I think we need to very much focus in that this passage is not actually just talking about that Old Testament anymore. And we're going to read a couple passages, and I, I want to pull that out for you. The first one 1 Timothy 5.18. You can turn there if you want. I'm going I'm to read the whole thing to you. 1 Timothy 5.18. It's a quote. It's in the middle of a chunk talking about pastors. All right, I, We're not even going to focus on what that text says. I want you to see how Paul says it. All right, 1 Timothy 5.18. It quotes the New Testament 
and the Old Testament passage, and it calls them both Scripture. So here's what it says. For Scripture says, same word as here, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's Deuteronomy 25.4. That's a law from the Old Testament. All right, This was written by Moses. All right, This is way back there. And then it continues on, and the laborer deserves his wages. That is a quotation of the book of Luke 10.7. So the first quotation is Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Second quotation, Luke, New Testament. And he says they're both what? Scripture. Scripture. So even Paul, just a few years prior to this passage being written, when he writes to Timothy, he says the Scriptures, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they both argue the same thing. They're saying the same thing, and they're both Scripture. All right? Let's keep going. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. All right? This is another passage, again, a little bit later than the passage Hannah read here just a moment earlier. I'm going to read a little bit of it for the context. It's kind of funny, actually. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Peter was very honest. Um, if you read about him, he just kind of says whatever's on the top of his head. Uh, he's just one of those people that just... There's no filter, and so you, you see that come out in this passage. So 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, that's who wrote Timothy, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. So we are, he is actually referencing in this passage what we're reading in today's primary text, okay? Is that kind of making sense to everybody? He's saying, yeah, all Paul's letters, he speaks in his wisdom. But look what he says next. Now, this is the funny part. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. In other words, Paul, man, he's deep. He'll go for it. Which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destructions. Here's the key phrase. As they do the other scriptures. So Peter, even as this stuff is being written, is saying those letters that Paul are, is writing, which again, quote Luke, another letter written about this, that's Scripture. So even in the New Testament, as the Lord was using these guys to write this stuff down, they realized God is doing something. This is the Holy Scriptures. So, 66 books of the Bible... I want to read you the, from the last book written, book of Revelation 22, 18 and 19, how, how John, another disciple, wraps this kind of deal up. So what are the scriptures? So it's the Old Testament. That's kind of the given. But then it's also Paul's letters. It's also the Gospels. It's Peter's level letter. He's calling it scripture. And then John says this, it's done. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. In other words, they're going to hell. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life in the holy city. In other words, they're going to hell. This is strong language here, which are described in this book. So John says, this is it, it's done, you try to change that, you're going to hell. 
all right? Not, not subtle or anything like this, okay? This, is, this letter here, this is written for like the David Koresh's and the, the, the nut jobs out there that are going to try to add to the Bible, all right? This is not to happen. And so I, I wanted to address two specific concerns that we've had questions about in recent times. And by the way, thank you all for asking questions. It, it, it's okay to ask us stuff. This is what we're here for as pastors and elders. We want to help y'all grow. And so when you have a struggle or a question about this, please ask. Um, but there was a question um, that was brought to us about, what about my old Bible um, from when I was a Catholic, Roman Catholic? It has all these extra books in there. And so I, I want to just really specifically address that and say, this is what's called the Apocrypha, all right? Most of these books were written between 400 B.C. and 0 A.D., all right? So they're written before Jesus was born, after the close of the New Testament. And they were written by Jewish authors. So these, there's history in these things. We actually learn a lot about folks like the Maccabees, all this, that was very relevant for Jesus' time. Some of them are also wacky, all right? We got dragons and knights with swords and, I mean, wacky, okay? Um, they were never considered part of the Jewish scriptures. So in Jesus' day, he had probably read all of these. Odds are he had read the Apocrypha. He did not read them as scripture. The Jewish people of Jesus' day, the Jewish people of today, the Jewish people, when they wrote all their commentaries on this, they said, we like reading these. These are important. They are not scripture. And so the early Christian church, they just assumed that same thing. Okay, yeah, it's okay to read those. Like, they're good, they're fine stories and all that. They're not Scripture. So it would be the same way that today, if somebody came into, I'm going to pick on Joe, his house, all right? He's got a Bible. He's also got an ESV study Bible. I know he has that one. That way I can pick on him, right? He knows that the top part, that's the Bible. The bottom part, that's really good. That's not the Bible, all right? This is how Jewish people and early Christians thought about the Apocrypha. That isn't the Bible. Then in 386, all right, so 400 years after Christ, the, the New Testament canon's already been firmly established. The Catholic Church at the Council of Rome seems to indicate, and it's not really clear, but they seem to indicate that they are considering the Apocrypha Scripture. And then in 1563, all right, that, that date should ring a bell with some of you. Not the specific one, but what has just happened in the early 1500s? I, I'm the children's pastor. You can keep talking, all right? What's just happened in the early 1500s? The Reformation, Martin Luther, everything's changed. In 1563, the Pope says the Apocrypha is Scripture. Two major reasons. Here they are. Reason number one, the Apocrypha mention purgatory. And you know what Martin Luther said does not exist? Purgatory. Because the Bible says purgatory does not exist. It's nowhere in the Bible. But it's in the Apocrypha. And so the Pope wanted to make sure his beliefs of purgatory, which is a place, it's kind of like semi-hell, you can kind of work your way out of it, um, is supported. Second belief that they used to support, the Apocrypha to support, 
It was called the selling of indulgences. If you remember, this is what set Martin Luther off. The Pope would sell you a certificate of forgiveness. So in other words, you go commit murder, but as long as you steal enough money to pay the Pope, he writes you a certificate, you're good to go. I think you could probably guess that's not in the Bible, right? The Pope put those in, firmed that up. So is it like wrong or evil to read the Apocrypha? No, again, there's history in there. It's mixed in with some kind of wacky stories, but there's history in there. I've read it. It's, it's, um, it's useful. You can kind of get the feel of the day Jesus lived in because it was really close to that. But it's not Scripture. So the second thing that's come up a lot in discussions, and I, and I, I want to be specific about, the lost book of fill in the blank. It happens about every five years. Somebody on the Discovery Channel needs a new special, and they find the lost gospel of this or the lost book of this, and it's some story of that's going to just change the world about how we view Jesus. So most of those are old books, but they're not that old. Most of these books were written in the four or five hundreds A.D., four to five hundred years after Jesus, they were wrote under false, false names, pseudonyms, and they're wacky, all right? Some of them are not necessarily wacky, and they may, some of them are even older. But there's lots of books written today, right? Does anyone have trouble confusing the latest Clive Cussler novel with the Bible? R- right? So why would we confuse a novel from the early New Testament with the Bible? Where do these guys get off thinking this is going to change the world and change our view of Jesus? The scriptures were the books that were inspired by God. And we're going to get to that. That's what makes something scripture. So, the second thing, the meaning of inspiration. All right, let me just say some things that we're not talking about here. One, we're not talking about the mountains are pretty, okay? That's inspiring, right? That's inspiration. That's not it. The second thing, I'm inspired to paint this piece of fruit, okay? It's like a, you know, I'm going to copy that. kind. Of, that's not it. Um, the third thing that it's not, that's very, very common today, all right? I think those two are pretty obvious. This one, I heard last week, is when I read the Bible, I feel inspired to be a good person. Now, that may be true. I hope when you read the Bible, you feel inspired to be a good person, right? We should. It's the Bible. That's not the inspiration Scripture is talking about. That's all on you. Because you could read something and not feel inspired today. Well, does that mean the Bible's not inspired? Not at all. What Scripture is saying about itself is it is God breathe. And so we're going to use three words or two words here, kind of two illustrations, word pictures that the New Testament authors do. The first one is breathed out by God. That's what our text today says. And and I mean, that is the actual Greek wording. That's a great translation. It comes out of God's mouth. So the words you are holding today, granted they're translated in English. We'll, We'll hit that in just a second. But these are God's words to you. It's not just a godly guy back then who knew a lot about God who wrote something down. It's that God breathed through him 
His very words. Um, The passage that Hannah read earlier, it said that the authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, That word carried along, that one's harder to translate a little bit. It's the word that's used of a sailboat, all right? Sailboats, they sit there until what? The wind blows. That's the word, that they were carried along. So God, they're sitting there, and God's Holy Spirit works through them to produce His exact wording. All right, so that is a biblical meaning of inspiration. So the third thing, third sub-point there. Some theological implications of inspiration. Theological implications of inspiration. I'm going to give you a couple. They're not big words. They're words we don't use as much. All right? The first one, number one, verbal. Go ahead and write that one down. Verbal, just like you think it would be spelled. The second one, and we're going to come back and talk about these, is plenary. P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. And I'm sorry to throw words at you, but I I want us to know some of these words and terms because there's a reason we came up with them. They're really important. So verbal and plenary. Here's what verbal means. Verbs, okay? It's words. So verbal means that every word is what God wanted. Remember what Jesus said when he was talking to the Pharisees? He said, not one jot or tittle will pass away from my word though all heaven and earth pass away. Y'all remember that passage? That jot and tittle, we, we tried to come up with some names that are equivalent to Hebrew. A jot, it's, it's a period, it's a dot. That's a vowel in Hebrew, all right? They didn't use periods as periods, they used them as vowels, but it is a dot. So what Jesus is saying is not one letter will pass away from my word. The second thing, the, the tittle, uh, again, English people, they come up with all sorts of fun things over there in England. That's, that's an old translation. But what it's trying to get at is, is what we would call a serif. That's the technical term for it. So back when I was in school, we had to use Times New Roman for everything. All right? And when you wrote, let's say, an H, there's a little line across the top, and you know, little lines across the bottom. That it's kind of like fancy, I don't know, calligraphy style. Those little things that stick out, those little pieces of the letter, those are serifs. What Jesus is saying is not one of those is going to pass away from my word. That's how serious Jesus was about the Bible. The pieces of the letters are important. And so when we talk about verbal inspiration, we are saying that God's very words, the words of Scripture are inspired. The second thing is plenary. Plenary is like a plenary session if you've ever been to a conference. That's all, all right? It means all. It means everybody, everything. And what we're saying there is all of God's Word is inspired. So Genesis 1.1 is inspired. Revelation's inspired. Second Timothy's inspired. Matthew's inspired. What this is getting at is it, for instance, your very favorite Bible verse? Everybody, I, I have a favorite Bible verse. I, there are certain ones I just love that, that my heart gravitates to. That's okay. But that Bible verse is not more inspired than Leviticus twelve thirteen, which I have no clue what it says. And, and frankly, I'm not going to look up because it's probably going to be not very interesting. All right? 
But that's still inspired. That's still in the Bible for a reason. It's all inspired. So verbal, plenary, inspiration. One of the other words we've used is is inerrant. In other words, there's no errors. Infallible. It's not messed up anywhere. These are all really important things. But this is what the Bible says about Scripture. It's inspired. So let me ask you one question before we move to our second point here. Do you believe the Bible is the totally true Word of God? Think about that one for a minute. In your heart of hearts, do you believe the Bible is the totally true Word of God? And this is a place where it's okay to be honest. Man, I'm struggling with that. If, if you, please, grab an elder or pastor. Let us pray and talk. And again, get some resources in your hand. And find that out. Settle that in your heart. Do you believe the Bible is the totally true inspired word of God? All right, second point. Scripture is profitable. All right? Scripture is profitable. Read with me again this, the passage there, verse 16 and 17. You're going to see where that word comes from. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Here's where all your subpoints come, ready? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right. So Scripture is profitable. It's useful, would be another translation. It's good. It produces something. In the same way, if you open a business... Your goal is not just to work really hard and put all your money in there. At some point, you want a return on the investment, right? You want it to make a profit. And what Paul is saying here is the Scripture is always profitable. The Old Testament says it this way, My word will never return to me void. God gives out His word. It will always do something another pastor same point i stole my outline from him um rc sproul he he, instead of saying profitable he said the word effective scripture does something all right so let's look at what it does two kind of divisions doctrine and discipline so that's one and two there for you doctrine and discipline i did totally stole steal those from rc sproul Great teacher. Doctrine and discipline. So the first thing that Scripture does is it helps us in how we think. It helps us in our mind. It helps us in our will. The second thing is that discipline or discipleship, we could use that, being a good disciple is what this book's all about. It helps us work out what we know and believe. So Scripture tells us what to know and believe, but it also helps us work that out in a very practical way. So here are four things it helps us know. The first one, teaching. It's exactly what you think it is, all right? We know spiritual truth through the revelation of Scripture. Let me say something on that. And this was said to me when I was in seminary, and I'm so, so grateful for the godly man who said it. Larry Ashlock said to me, be careful in seminary. And he was, he, by the way, he was a seminary professor. He was not negative on seminary. But he said to me, be careful that you don't read more books about Scripture 
than you read Scripture. I love books. If you know me, you know I love books. All those books back there that are giveaways that y'all can grab. I mean, man, I am, I am ordering them. Every time I see a new one, I try to grab it, get it out to y'all. I love books. But don't miss the book for a whole bunch of other books. Be careful. Read Scripture. Scripture is what teaches us spiritual truth. The second one, this one isn't as fun, reproof. The Bible tells us when we are wrong. The Bible gets in your grill. The Bible steps on your toes. The Bible calls you a sinner. The Bible says you're wrong. The Bible says you're wrong in how you think. The Bible says you're wrong in what you do. It says the same thing about me. When the Bible says you're wrong, guess what? You're wrong. That's reproof. And we need that. We need that in our face. Because we, we're all so similar. We just, we just tend to drift to whatever it is we're kind of into. We tend to drift and look more and more like the people we're around. I and mean, this is what the students talked about all week, was being conformed to the world, right? We just, we just drift. The Bible gets in our face and says, no, stop it. We need to listen. We need to listen. The, the proper response there is what the Bible uses, the word is repent, is turn from our sin to Christ. But not only does it teach us, not only does it give us reproof, it corrects us. Okay, now that sounds a lot like reproof, right? It, it, there's a little tweak in, in the meaning there. So this is after we're told what's wrong, the Bible tells us how to fix it. Um, have you ever had those occasions where someone's maybe helping you with a project and, well, there's your problem. Yeah, I know that's the problem. What do I do about it? You know, I've, I've got a tiny little leak. For the life of me, I can't figure out. I've tried three or four different things. It's just not working. I know the problem. I don't know what to do about the problem without ripping half my house out. You know? The Bible doesn't leave us in that lurch. The Bible doesn't say, you're wrong. Have fun. It tells us what to do. It's constantly pointing us, whether you've never trusted Christ or you trusted Christ 30 years ago, it's constantly pushing us to Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. He rose again, and the Bible says He lived a perfect life for us. He pleased God when we couldn't. That was one of the Bible school lessons. And we're to constantly turn to Him. We're to turn to Him in faith. Whether you have never become a Christian, you turn to Him in faith. You trust His work for you. And then repent, that word I mentioned earlier. It's turning from our sin and our way and thinking we are right to agreeing with the Bible's reproof and correction and saying, no God, you are right, you are king. It's a transfer of allegiance to we say what it is, we define truth, to God, you are now defining the truth. You are setting the standard. And the Bible calls every single one of us to that. Whether it's to become a Christian or to continue on. So teaching, reproof, correction, the final thing, training. 
all right? This is the encouragement. This is a happy one again, all right? This is the preventative medicine, all right? I don't want, my son has never been hit by a car. My daughter has never been hit by a car. I've never been hit by a car. I don't need to be reproved. Stop getting hit by cars, right? We don't need that. But I do train my children just as the same way as my mom and my dad trained me. Don't run out in the street. Look around when you're in a parking lot. Look both ways before you cross the street, right? We train people so they don't get hit by cars. The Bible trains us so we don't sin. Remember the passage Joe read? How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. How do you keep from sinning? You go to Scripture. That's training. All right, discipline. So that's, that's like the head, all right? We're going to move to the actions and getting it into our heart. The Scriptures do two things. One, it makes us complete. This is kind of the moral component, the, the integrity component. In other words, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We have integrity. Our daily living is becoming more and more like Jesus. We are becoming more and more holy every day. The Scripture will help you. God uses His Scripture to change us. If you want to be more like Jesus, read the Scripture. If you have a sin that's besetting you, it just keeps coming back over and over, get into Scripture. That may not be the one thing you need to do, but you certainly need to do that. Get into Scripture. The second thing, good works. We all want to be a better witness. We all want to be a better husband or a wife, father or mother or a better child. We want to make the world a better place, right? The Scripture is what equips you to do that properly. And we had a bunch of people painting faces last night. I was doing that. I'm really, hey, I'm a mean old face painter. You know, I can whip out like things that don't look like anything really, really fast. Um, Lisa over here, she made me look bad. I, I won't even, uh, there, there's no other way to put it than that. I mean, she, she is, she's in charge of that from now on. Um, it doesn't seem like you need the Bible to paint a kid's face, right? Lots of people do that. I mean, what, what does that have to do with painting kids' faces? There's lots of people who serve their community. There are lots of people out there volunteering at the Nolensville Fourth thing that don't have any affiliation with Christ whatsoever. The difference is, for us, is our hearts have been changed by Christ so that first we love Christ and then, out of a true heart, we can love others sacrificially. It's all in the motivation. Lots of people want to change the world. Lots of people want to be a good husband or a good wife or good whatever. But the Scriptures ground that in something that actually makes an eternal difference. I don't want to just be a better dad to my kids so that they get good jobs and good marriages and make lots of money and all that sort of stuff. I want to be a good dad because I want my kids to know Christ. And I cannot do that without the Scriptures. We need the Scriptures. 
So second question. First question, do you believe that the Scripture is truly the totally true Word of God? Do you believe that? Now here's the second question, because I really want to get to this one. Do your actions and time show you actually believe that this is the Word of God? Because my guess is you're probably a little bit like me. You believe? Oh, yeah, yes. Hey, hey, amen. That's the Bible. And then for the majority of our day, it sits. It's not on my pad- podcast menu enough. I don't spend enough time in the morning when I read. I don't get my family together enough around the Word. I'm not memorizing like I ought to. That's a tough one. It's easy as a kid, man. It gets tough when you're an adult. That's work. Are you studying the Scripture? When is the last time you actually got a hard book to study the Bible and to learn something? You see, we're quick to confess that's God's Word. It's totally true. But our actions betray us. So we're going to pray. Our worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing another song of response. But what I want to invite you to and challenge you to, the, the whole point of all this exercise is to say, we got to get in the Word. we got to read it. we got to memorize it. We have to let it hit us we actually have to do what it says that's novel right so let's pray and let's ask God to actually change it where it looks like we believe that this is God's totally true word father we come thank you for a congregation that's gracious I know I went long teach us through your word Lord, as the Old Testament says, that it's become such a, a deep part of my prayer life. Open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your law. Lord, as we sang, show us Christ. May we open your word. Change us. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen.